Welcome to the Work Podcast brought to you by Open Assembly. I'm John Windsor, and today I'm with Doug Atkin. Doug is the managing partner at Communitas Capital and co-chairman of ZWork Acquisition Corporation. Throughout his 25-year career, he has been an active investor, founder, and senior executive with an emphasis on financial technology, crowdfunding, marketplaces, blockchain, and data-driven companies. How are you doing today, Doug? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, John. It's been such a pleasure. When we first met, I got to meet the other Doug Atkin. And what a crazy world it is, right? To have two Doug Atkins kind of at the center of this whole movement. What yeah, you know, I'm the disappointing one. So uh, I, I don't know about that. Uh, you should try to get the other Doug or yeah. us in stereo. Yeah, uh, there we go. We'll do that one time for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, hey, as we get going today, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? I think you have such a unique background as you approach kind of the future of work and, and how things work. And in our conversations before, you've added so much value to the way I think about stuff. Yeah, I mean, I came to the future of work, as we discussed, kind of organically. My first job out of college, I went to uh, school down the road at Somerville, so a jumbo. My first job out of college was with a little startup called Instanet, which was the first electronic trading competitor to NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange. I was doing no trading when I arrived. Great group of people, right place, right time. Ended up spending 18 years there. The company ended up trading over 35% of all NASDAQ volume. So it was uh, got to be a big company. I became CEO and took the company public. It was actually the first company to come out in the back end of the internet bubble uh, bursting. And then since then, I've been an investor and an operator in data-driven businesses, but a lot in marketplaces, just given my background. We're all products of our environment. And then two people who I've invested with throughout the years, Tom Glozer used to run Reuters and Duncan Niederauer ran the New York Stock Exchange. About three years ago, we decided to formalize what we've been doing informally and launched a little fun friends and family fund. Investing in marketplaces, data-driven businesses, fintech. And sort of the segue into the future of work is we grew into it organically, frankly, just like we grew into crypto organically. So the way we look at things is through the lens of our experience, which is once a floor-based exchange in stock trading went electronic and there were multiple competitors, you saw a whole new technology stack have to be put in place. Things that are commonplace today, like portfolio analytics, smart order routers, etc. And what we do from an investing point of view is where we see that pattern appear in any industry will invest. So in crypto, and then I'll get into the future of work, someone out of the blue called us up and said, hey, you guys own five of the crypto 50 companies. And we're like, that's interesting. We don't approach it like we're a crypto fund. <laughs> we're, you know, we own the infrastructure. Of, right. We like companies like that. So we started to see uh, marketplaces appear in the future of work like Graphite or Spare Hire and others. So that was on one hand, and those are exchanges. And then on the other hand, we saw companies like Gloat, 
which we're an investor in, we saw companies using, in our parlance, would be portfolio management tool. Instead of managing a pool of equities, you're managing as a CEO your most valued assets, which are your employees. So Mm -hmm. how do you make better decisions by getting lots of data on your employees? And that's how we got into it. And as you know, we launched a SPAC with the head of former CEO of Angie's List Home Advisor and also the former head of M&A at IAC. And we launched that about a month ago. That's great. Tell us about that, Z-Work. And probably for the audience still, SPACs are pretty new. So it might be good to to add a little color commentary on what is a SPAC and how does it work and then launch into kind of what you're thinking about with Z-Work. Sure. So a SPAC is called the Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation. And you go out and you raise money. In essence, you do an IPO. And the IPO, you raise the cash and it's put into, let's say, a trust, right? And it typically has a theme. So you go out to institutional investors. And we put a team together, as I said, myself, Chris Terrell from Angie's List and Adam Roskin from IAC and Mandy Ginsburg, who ran Match. And you say, we're really interested in the future of work. We're looking to merge with the company that is in the future of work. And we you know, are hopeful and think we can bring value. So you, you, in essence, have an initial public offering. So right now, we have a company that's public. It has $230 million worth of money, right? Mm-hmm. And we have 24 months to go out and make an acquisition that's approved by shareholders. If we do, it proceeds. And if we don't, we, we return all the money to the shareholders. So you don't lose money. You get all your money back at the end of 24 months. Wow, that's great. Well, I think it's such an interesting way to do it. And I thought in our last conversation, we were talking about C-round VC investing versus kind of using a SPAC and the advantages for entrepreneurs and just was super interesting. So something in this marketplace, I think that's really needed in that a lot of the best platforms are been out for a long time, right? They've been doing it for a long, long time. There's a lot more new momentum, but they've definitely been the challengers for this for a long time and have so much history. And now it's about ready to explode, but trying to negotiate those kind of preferences and things like that in a late round venture deal is, is very difficult. And I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. I'm playing well, both sides, John. I'm a yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And I'm a co-chairman of his back. So yeah, I, I'm on both sides. Of the, well, then you know right. more than anybody else. That's awesome. I don't know. Yeah. You know a lot. That's well, great. no, I'm trying. Well, you know, what's so funny is like, so Mandy Ginsburg, I saw her name when I read this back stuff and I had totally forgotten, but Back when we had Victors and Spoils, she called me out of the blue because I think she was in charge of marketing for Match at the time. Probably. And so we had a lot of conversations trying to figure out how do we use the open talent market and, and open talent advertising to kind of lean in to do Match stuff. And, oh, wow. Know, yeah. So we had all these great conversations. I really love her. So please, please tell her hi for me. I've lost track of her. It's, it's oh, been yeah. long enough. No, so she's, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Absolutely. Tell her I'd love to reconnect with her again. Okay. So, yeah. Please do. Okay. That I sounds will. good. So what's the most interesting thing you're working on right now or you're doing right now? I mean, obviously the SPAC is, is a really cool yeah, thing. Yeah, but- I would say the SPAC is probably the most interesting. I mean, we're doing interesting things on the fund and we're doing interesting things in, in the SPAC. So the SPAC, we're out 
talking to lots of companies in the future of workspace, broadly defined, right? That we view it as, and it was amazing meeting you because it's like kindred spirits. We think there needs to be a new operating system, for lack of a better term, for right. work, right? Yep. And COVID, this was pre-COVID, and COVID's, of course, only accelerated the trends. But it's really on both sides of the equation. As I alluded to earlier, it's how do companies better deal with all these changes? Mm-hmm. And it offers opportunities and a lot of challenges. And then uh, for the individuals themselves. So we're looking at some very interesting investments right now in, uh, from the fund perspective in the gig economy. Mm-hmm. And and the SPAC side, you know, they're much bigger companies. We're having conversations with a few. Obviously, I can't talk. Yeah, about yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I think now is the now is the time, right? Yeah. Right now is the time that it's really accelerating. Well, let's dig into the future of work. What are you seeing in the context of the latest disruption? I mean, you jumped in COVID, the change is going on, but but lay out a, a larger scenario there. I mean, obviously, it's a black swan event that everything was happening beforehand. It just COVID just tipped everything over, right? And so oh, we, we, you know, my buddy Chris Stanton from Harvard has done some analysis and said, you know, it's pushed work forward by uh, 10 years that, you know, statistically, we are now where we should be in 2030. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were tailwinds, as you said, pre-COVID, the COVID just, I think there's two buckets. There are things that will either partially or totally go back to pre-COVID. And then there are some things that have uh, structurally changed. You know, one, for example, is uh, telemedicine. Mm-hmm. I think doctors viewed it as this is kind of beneath me. Mm-hmm. It's just not as good. And the patients were kind of looking at it the same way. And all of a sudden, COVID hits and you're sitting and talking to your doctor and both sides are going, this is really, this is really interesting. Yeah. So I think telemedicine's really here to stay. A great company that did go public via SPAC is Talkspace, which you might, I mm-hmm. think, you know of, mm-hmm. uh, which is the online on-demand therapy app. Mm-hmm. So I think that is structurally changed. Conferences are going to be, and business travel, it'll be a reversion, I would say halfway back, but Mm -hmm. certainly not totally. Individuals are, I think, a good percentage of them who are working remotely, who are working for companies big and small, will want to stay remote. Mm-hmm. My son, I was joking with the gentleman you introduced me to at, at Deloitte. Yeah. And I look forward to speaking to him and said, my son works at Deloitte. He's based in San Francisco. And he said, well, it's interesting to see what based means. And I said, you don't want to know. He's been, in, <laughs> he's been in Hawaii, Park City, Newport Beach. He's going to Costa Rica next week. And I'm going... This is pretty amazing. And he works hard. But right, uh, right. Now, I don't know if he's going to ever want to go back to work. And then people who are freelancing, I think a good number of them are saying, it's all good for me. 
Yeah, no, I read the other day, you know, as I'm doing this work to get ready for this book that Harvard Business Press is doing for Jen and Kareem and I, that, you know, somebody, and I can't remember which book it was in, maybe it was in Jeff Schwartz's new book, Workforce Disruptive, but he was just saying that mid-90s, a gigabyte of memory was $50,000. Now it's 10 cents. Right. And, you know, you get those kind of quantum shifts where I remember when I had my publishing company, I love to tell the story. In 1996, I was trying to put Ethernet in my office of 120 people in the publishing industry. To get everybody on dial-up, I spent $100,000 putting in the Ethernet only to have a dog, one of our office dogs, eat some of the cable. We couldn't figure out where it was, so we ripped all the cable out and did it again. So two hundred grand just to get people on dial-up versus you know, a kid in a coffee shop now getting yeah. free free Internet. Right. It's just yeah. like, it's just crazy. Yeah. See, and to me, what's transpired is like, it means that you used to have to be able to build a company and build the infrastructure. And now you can just go out with your computer and do whatever you want from wherever you want. Just like no, yeah. no, so no. really, really amazing stuff that's going on. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the open talent and freelancing industry. Where do you see it fitting into the overall talent industry? I mean, it seems like there's so much going on in so many different places and COVID's highlighted the idea that remote's really a possibility and that should people be full-time or part-time or where does all this stuff fit? Yeah, I mean, I think you separate it into two buckets. One is my son is working full time, right? Right. But gets to work wherever he wants. And then there are the people who are freelancing for for living. And I just think for those people, there are a lot more choices for them on how to make money. There's over 150 gig economy platforms. And I view gig economy as also the asset sharing economy because I view it as as an individual, how can I make the most money as a freelancer with all my skill sets and all my assets? So Mm -hmm. if you have a car, you can obviously do ride sharing or moving. Or if you have a second home, you can rent it. Or even Etsy, I would argue, is kind of the future of work, right? And then there's everything, as you know, from dog grooming to being a barber to being a doctor, lawyer, financial analyst, down to a kid being paid a buck to fill out a survey, right? Mm -hmm. So how I see it is... High-end talent will be able to make a lot of money doing freelance. I Mm -hmm. I think I might have told you, it's kind of a funny story. One of the best analysts I've ever had, I found on Graphite, on Sparehire. And Harvard Wharton grad, incredibly smart, and much to his uh, parents' chagrin, is pursuing his passion in photography, right? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. However, he goes on the Graphite platform and he'll either say he can be my analyst for the next two months on a deal or say he's in Kenya on a photo shoot. Right. But, you know, he probably makes two or three hundred thousand bucks a year doing this, which is pretty amazing. Really amazing. And then I think sort of lower between rideshare, which is really low skilled and financial analysts are these professions or skills where you need certificates. I think in New York, there's a hundred different professions where uh, you need a certificate. And Mm -hmm. I think people are going to have much better education opportunities, much better opportunities to up their skills and therefore make more money. 
No, I totally agree. It was interesting. I don't know if you were on our clubhouse call on the crypto side of things, and John Pollard from Opolis was talking a bunch and laying out that scenario that, you know, we've had the scarce capitalism and, you know, his hope is to kind of be in this more abundant place. And the idea that, you know, and he called it the Uber problem, right? Is like, you know, a bunch of folks put money in, which was great. It's very personal to me because one of my buddies, a wealth manager here in town, and just so happened to put, you know, his 100 clients into Uber, 25,000 bucks a piece. And, you know, a year later, literally it was early in, but it was still a private company. All these people in Boulder got a million dollar check and they had no idea why they even got the million dollar check. Just a million dollars showed up in their account. And so Pollard's point is like, that's awesome. But then the drivers and riders who actually that transaction makes the whole system work, they can't make minimum wage. And is there a way to tokenize or use a DAO or use, you know, a new kind of system that everybody, not only does the investor should get the return on investment, but a way to kind of level up everybody. So everybody's creating some kind of value. Yeah. I mean, I think that's interesting in the Uber issue, whether benefits W2 versus 1099. You know, I see it from the Uber's perspective is I was an early user of Uber. And then when Lyft and Via and Get came around, I would get in a car in New York and say to the driver, what do you use? And he said, I'm an Uber driver. And I said, well, I'm not sure you should look at it that way, right? Mm -hmm. There's other apps like Lyft that if you used, you could get more rides. And I still think the ride sharing people, they're in the car optimization business, right? right? So how do I utilize my car? I would say there's probably 30 different gig economy sites that these people could be using. So while, while Uber as a public company is trying to, well, make profits, not maximize profits. (laughs) So they're going to squeeze, right? The commission. For sure. For sure. But I, I would just say, you know, there's so many opportunities, no matter what your skill set is, to make more money in this economy. I totally agree. I think one of the things that's going to drive that is what you know Velocity Foundation is doing, and then Top Coders doing some stuff that you know they're going to help us at CTW look at, and that is creating digital wallets for drivers that so or, or whoever, right? Somebody they want to do it for their own people on Top Coder, so you create a digital wallet identity and be able to take that identity built on the blockchain across other platforms, totally. so that right, so that your your reputation ranking on Top Coder goes to TopTal goes to freelancer, goes all the way across, right? And that digital wallet will then, all that identity will be owned by the driver, owned by the freelancer. And then all of a sudden that unlocks everything for me. I mean, that that really, really becomes a powerful thing. There's a great example in in our marketplace, Braintrust, I think you and I connected on, and I thought that was such an interesting conversation. You know, that they've, they've tokenized things. They're not ready to actually do an ICO or anything, but they're using kind of tokens as a way to get people to participate in the building of their platform and take on investors. And I think that's a really interesting strategy of kind of allowing people to put their sweat equity in to build something for the future, allow it to scale. So lots of really interesting stuff. Because it feels like one of the things that is happening from my perspective right now is I think we have a good philosophical alignment and we're starting to get a framework alignment on how adoption works, but we need that kind of financial alignment. Like how do we incentivize people in a way across industries that allow them to be really flexible and use their best talents to pursue their passions and know that they're going to get rewarded for that, right? Yeah. And again, as I said, we're products of our environment. This is a market structure issue. In 
equities right now, there are 40 places for you to trade Uber, Lyft, Intel, IBM, right? Mm -hmm. And the issue is instead of having to go and do all these things individually, there's a middleware software where, like you're saying on the wallet, where you can go in and say, here are my skills, here's my education, here's, here are my assets. And what's needed is to show people in the freelance economy all the money-making opportunities. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. You know, that just doesn't exist. No. So people, when we did our research, this was now 24 months ago, people thought there were only six, seven gig economy sites in total. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a list of about seven or eight hundred, right? Just like, popping up all, all the time. Yeah, wow. It's just really crazy. We stopped at 150. That's pretty wild. That's a global number for sure. Yeah. So, what's the future of Open Talent? I mean, I think one of the things is that all this momentum's happening. You know, like in so many other new industries, the legislative rules and regulations are just far behind. And my sense oh. is that we're in this really interesting place, right? There's a There's a possibility that all this stuff's going to get slowed down by some kind of new law yeah. that's enacted, right? Yeah. Where do you think we'll all end up? Like, you know, looking yeah. back a few years from now, where will we be? I mean, it's a really interesting question. There are some real challenges for freelance workers, you know, as you and I talked about. I mean, one is predictability of income, right? Benefits, right? right. Healthcare, financial benefits. And certainly community, and that's where the other Doug was acting, really. Right. It's lonely, right? I mean, you could argue it's really good, but people miss the interaction, the water cooler, and all of that. So, I mean, one of the fundamental issues, which is whatever, it's just always been odd that healthcare is tied to full-time work, and that's just, right. that's just not tenable, right? right. It's just not Holy tenable. Not. Yeah, so yeah. we we view that as an opportunity, right? That there's insurance companies who are working on interesting products for the gig workers. And then even 401ks where we know a little company that's working on a synthetic pension plan for, wow. for gig workers. So I think if you, you know, can give predictability of income, you can, mm-hmm. and that can happen any number of ways. And then the benefits and then the community, those are the three issues to solve for. And I think if you solve for them, then the regulators are not going to have issues, right? Right, right. No, I totally agree. It's up to us as an industry to solve those, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and use the innovation and the, and the ability to do that for sure. Exactly. But what do organizations need to do to adopt these alternative talent models? I always feel like that's an issue, right? It's like in my work at Havas and in the work I've done, you always get like, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And then everybody goes away and says, holy shit, that might be the end of my career. I'm not doing right. that. No, there's there's always that. Investing in a business model where it's a great service, but it's like turkeys voting for Thanksgiving is not a... <laughs> exactly. Not a, that's a great uh, example. Uh, it, it, it takes a long time. But um, <laughs> I think big companies aren't the most natural users of the gig economy and companies that are very innovative, like a Deloitte, are Mm -hmm. seeing that, you know, you can use or tap into the gig economy to flex up talent, to bring in specific expertise that you don't need on a full-time basis. 
I mean, I would even see it as, do you need a cleaning service, caterer, financial analyst, legal, offer your employees sort of benefits, right? Like five hours of something on legal Zoom or mm-hmm. what have you. And I think companies will, and it, it, to your point, it's almost an emotional you know, they need to get over this, uh, God, this is going to put people out of out of work. And I don't think it is. It's just people are going to come for sure come in a different way. But yeah. I think that's what's going to happen with companies to tap into the gig economy. Yeah. And as you and I've talked, I mean, the theme of our book is about the networked organization and the choice. You know, you can look at NASA as 17,000 full-time employees that are W-2'd, or you can look at NASA as 17,000 full-time employees, plus the 30,000 contractors that are connected through the internal platform, NASA at Work, and the 110 million people that are connected through Center of Excellence of Collaborative Innovation. So you could say it's a networked organization with 110 million, 47,000 people that are all ready and psyched to do work for NASA. Yeah, and, you know, and I think that's the mindset shift that leaders need to have, right? They can say, well, I could have this scarce thing and try to control it, or I can unleash the power of this abundance of knowledge and allow that just different places into my organization. No doubt. And depending on if you're in the knowledge business, you're going to use things differently. But yeah, I mean, everyone focuses on Uber, right? Right. Everyone focuses on the individual. And when I sit down and talk to people and they're going, yeah, the companies don't use it. I'm like, Amazon uses it. Intuit offers CPA service. Intuit doesn't hire CPAs. It's on a gig work basis. For sure. FedEx, you know, you can go on and on. And yeah, I think this is only going one way. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk about what's on your development roadmap. I mean, usually I ask that to platforms, but I love to hear it from, you know, your perspective. Like as you see your investments, like what's on the collective roadmap? What are you telling your your investments to think about when they look at their roadmap? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, our roadmap from a fund is again to invest in this, you know, the new, I hate, you know, ecosystem, but this operating system. So the same technologies that had to, by definition, be implemented in the securities industry, which we talked about when marketplaces evolved. The first thing to happen in the future of work were the marketplaces. Mm-hmm. And now you need this whole infrastructure of technology. To your point, why in God's green earth do I need to spend hours signing up for 12 different gig sites? It's a market structure issue to have a digital wallet that handles everything well you know why do i need to do a background check on every company so there's there's this lot of aggregation and almost also a meta type of structure like the kayak.com for the economy right yeah um and then we you know we really are focusing in on benefits and trying to figure out how that's going to play out what companies are there to invest in. And then from the SPAC world, it's finding a really good company, helping it grow. And I think there'll be a lot of consolidation. Mm -hmm. There'll be a lot of M&A activity in this industry. Yeah, no, I totally agree. 
Yeah, there should be. I mean, that's what Bology always says is like, why aren't there more $100 million companies in this industry? Yeah. It just, you know, it's just not there yet. And right. I think, you know, it's a lot of things, right? It's like the lack of consolidation, the, the length of time it's taken to grow this industry, the, the adoption. So lots of really interesting stuff. So if I gave you a crystal ball, what would the world look like in five to 10 years? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I would say is companies will probably have 20% fewer full-time employees. I mean, there's all kinds of different companies, but on average, and there'll be the freelance workforce or the gig workers is going to be, you know, three, four times as big. I really believe it's, this is just getting started. And then both sides are going to really get used to this being it'll be a well-oiled machine right now it's very clunky on, mm -hmm. on both sides right, right. So how do the big companies deal with it and we don't have the tools and you know the all kinds and then there's the gig workers who have a lot of missing pieces and i think what's going to happen is the market will evolve both sides we view it as different marketplaces will evolve so there'll be less friction I love it. I love it. Well, Doug, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really yeah, appreciate it. It's like always a joy to talk to you. And yeah. Um, and thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank you for including me and thank you for including me in your other endeavors. It's just great to talk to someone who's as passionate about it as I am. So oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks.